If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be perfectly paced, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to how do we avoid the dreaded table drag? And what can we keep in mind so our games flow ever so smoothly? And how can you intentionally pace your games for maximum effect? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So today we are talking about story pacing, not pasting. Not all about glue, like the two of us used to eat. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of stick glue went down the old <laughs> gullet. It ex- why do they make it so tasty? It explains so much. So we scrapped the episode about glue and all of its applications in D and D because it really didn't feel like it meshed with the rest of our library of podcasts or merits its own half an hour of discussion. But yes, story pacing. And the reason we threw the word story in front of pacing is because pacing has a lot of different kind of interpretations when it comes to playing role-playing games. But this episode is about the speed at which a story unfolds and how much of an impact that has on everybody at the table. So here's the thing. I know you and I have both experienced this before. We've experienced the high of finishing a game of D&D, everyone is jazzed up. Everyone's saying that that was great. And I mean, we're going to, so to speak, chase that dragon because holy (laughs) shit, nothing feels better than pulling off a great game. People are high-fiving. They're talking about the moments of the game. They're talking about what does this mean for what comes next. That was great. It was so good. And then you stand up, you start to pack up and you go, Well, I'm just going to fucking purge all that information. We'll see if I can do it again. (laughs) Or we've been on the flip side of that scenario where things were starting to drag in my game and I didn't know why. And I felt like I was just in a tailspin, not knowing what to do to get myself out of it. So lacking any options, I crashed and burned into the game's (laughs) end time with everybody knowing that something terrible has happened and they pack up their things And they're all silent and sad. And if they do say anything, it's a desperate attempt to change the subject from (laughs) D&D as they leave your house and leave you in the dark, sadly moping in a corner. And really, it's just best to leave you there for a few hours while you process the shame of the atrocity that's just befallen everybody. hopefully learn something. And that's the thing is that we won't until we understand pacing. So story pacing. Every DM, whether intentionally or not, sets a pace in their games. And we can either do this in a haphazard kind of crazy way that all cards on the table, I have done a lot. (laughs) For most of our DMing careers, we've done it. We have poorly paced games And then said, God, I wish I could unlock the secret to figuring that shit out. So do you want to know the secret to unlocking good story pacing in your D&D game? 
Here it is. We don't play through games in real time. So what are you skipping? So this one took a little while for it to sink in for me. And I want to just give you a moment to sit there and let it kind of marinate and lock in. We don't play games in real time. We are ultimately skipping something. And story pacing is strictly about what we are choosing intentionally to skip and what we are intentionally deciding to spend time on. Can you imagine if we didn't make this choice to skip time in D&D? <laughs> well, for one, a campaign would literally take most of your life. <laughs> there is that, especially since you're playing it in three-hour chunks. <laughs> Once a week, if everyone's lucky. Yeah. And you've got scenes of what? Uh, just sharpening your weapons, weighing out your bag of trail mix <laughs> on the little scale. <laughs> the really awkward conversation when you're ringing out. How's the weather? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this is a good batch. <laughs> they have nuts, the macadamia nuts in the trail mix now. I don't quite have enough for that. Can you take a scoop out? <laughs> I mean, even Lord of the Rings, some of the longest fantasy movies out there, did not <laughs> play through every second of their travels. We had to skip over some stuff. So whether we use this poorly or unintentionally or whatever the case may be, the time is up. We've got to figure this tricky bit out on how to pace our games. And luckily, once we wrapped our heads around it, we realized it really isn't that hard. And if you just keep it in the back of your head when you're running your games and planning your games, you can do a great job at it. So let's talk about that in the Strategy Stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so I think for clarity, we need some kind of example that we can continually draw from as we go through all of these examples of pacing. So we're going to go with just a really basic setup and story. The party has been hired to rescue a town mystic that was kidnapped by bandits and is being held hostage. Dastardly. We're going to have a fight climax, probably a hostage situation kind of thing. Return, get rewarded. Gotta have that for a good story. Also, before we get into it, I do want to take just a moment to talk about some of the reasons that I think we feel the pain of pacing that we didn't quite talk about at the very beginning. And I've felt this so deeply in the past where I went, God, what happened with that? Why did that go so long? Or why did it feel inconsequential? Why am I frustrated? You know, that just like underlying gut feeling of, uh, yeah, we we uh, hit that pretty hard. <laughs> Corner moping. So whenever I get this feeling, it's because I'm reflecting on a particular encounter or a an NPC or just something that ran 10, 15 minutes in a game. And then I go, why did that suck? It's because it didn't have any stakes. There was essentially no point to that scene or encounter or series of encounters. Like I've gone the whole sessions without doing anything that meant anything before. 
Yeah, you just kind of meander along and go. Well, that was that was interesting. We rolled some dice. Hey, everyone. Yeah. Cool. High five. <laughs> Why do I feel so hollow and empty inside? Well, everything builds the stakes. When we sit down and we reflect and go, what are the stakes to this? Does this add to our rescuing of the mystic? Not really. Let's skip past this. Or is it just truly filler? And another major clarification to make before we get into all of this is that pacing is a personal preference. Culturally, I think preferences shift slowly. So as a DM, go easy on yourself. What do you mean by preferences shift? I know that our dad didn't really appreciate Mad Max. Yet dad also really appreciated Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And those two films have very different pacing. And I think that culturally, our expectations of pacing change. Huh. So maybe if you find that like one player isn't quite jiving with the story that you're telling, that maybe they just have different expectations of the pacing and that nothing is wrong or right in terms of pacing, but it's right for all of the players at the table. I guess you got a point there because if I go back and watch movies from like the 1950s or 60s, the title sequences on those are like 20 minutes long. It's just like, good God, when is something going to explode? I need action now. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think what's also really tricky about this is that when I'm a player and I'm sitting there going, fuck, this is dragging on so long. What's happening? Why isn't this moving? And I look at the bastard that's doing it and it's the DM. You're the one that's dragging this out. But as the DM, sometimes you're trying to let the players lead things. And so you're wondering why they're leading things in a terrible direction. Why are the players so invested in this character that is not leading towards the story? I wish they would get their asses in gear. So you can't label it as any one party's fault at the table. Everyone's trying to make a fun game for everyone. Always keep that in mind. All right. So the steps. What are we going to do to fix this whole problem and think of this in a different way. We can't. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, we can. We can do this. So the steps are, we want to we want to start by building a structure and stakes. Then we want to build a ticking clock. Then we can use some systems to speed up and some systems to slow down. And of course, you want to watch the other people at the table so that you know where to take the game next. So let's go into a little bit more detail here. Let's start with build a structure and stakes. So we've talked about structure in several different episodes, and we have a structure that you can definitely use. It's our story planner. It's a resource you can download from our website. But you don't have to use that one. There's other simpler structures or more complicated structures that you can use. Personally, for my most recent game, I used Dan Harmon's Story Circle. It's a really cool kind of eight-act structure that is pretty neat. He uses it for Rick and Morty and Community and all of those other productions that he works on. But the type of structure isn't really the point we're trying to make. We're just saying you need a structure to start with so that you can vary the pace of your game in a way that you're intentionally doing. With no structure, it's hard to tell whether or not you're going off track. Yeah. And setting the stakes is so crucial in this process too because... That's kind of your end point. Your stakes is the problem that the players are trying to solve throughout this adventure. And I think all of this is kind of like a road trip. (laughs) 
Stakes is your point on a map that you're going to, and you know how long you have to get there. Then you know when you need to step on the gas, increase the pace of your game, and you know when you can let off the gas and calm things down for a bit. I was wondering where you were going with that, but you pulled it out in the end. It is. <laughs> that just brought up lots of road trip memories of our childhood. <laughs> and dad honking on the gas in order to get where we need to go so that we can <laughs> slow down and relax once we get there. Yeah, yeah. There's a very fast-paced <laughs> nature to those road trips. The road bits are quite frenetic. <laughs> and then <laughs> once we get there, it's all leisure, baby. That was a good analogy. <laughs> and just as a, a super quick example here, like let's say your structure is as simple as a beginning, a middle, and an end. If we've got a three-hour session, then generally you can say... A beginning should take an hour, the middle should take an hour, and the end should take an hour. And if the players want to meander a bit in that beginning section, they're really enjoying it, that means you're you're letting them, and you might go for an hour and a half. But then you're going to have to up the pace in the middle section to make up for it. But without that structure, you're just freewheeling. You're going wherever. <laughs> you don't know where you're going. Yeah, you're totally right. The next part is building that ticking clock. So... The DM now has some sense of the pace at which they need to move this story along. Well, that's a little bit challenging because without telling the players exactly what your story is and the pace that you're planning to set, they might have a different expectation. So now all of a sudden, the players are meandering into random conversations with tavern goers because they don't understand that there is a bit of a pace that you're trying to adhere to. So what do we do? We give the players a ticking clock. There is always a ticking clock. There is always a time that the magic item they're trying to retrieve turns to dust. Or in our scenario, the mystic that was kidnapped is going to be killed. The town has 24 hours to respond to this and give in to the bandits' demands or something terrible is going to happen. And if you're sitting there like I was and thinking, okay, but I really love those moments where the party can just talk to every single person in the tavern if that's what they want to do. But I think those moments belong between adventures. They're after you've resolved one stake and before the next is introduced. It's not during the adventure where there's stakes and there's time crunches and there's all these interesting things happening. And that also calls to, I think, another conversation, which is, what is the time crunch? You can give players a ticking clock on any scale. Are you thinking campaign scale? Great. Put the ticking clock weeks or even months away. Now, the players know that they can have some really wild side conversations. They can, I mean, on a month scale, uh, depends on how terrible you are at relationships, but a player can get into a relationship with an NPC and probably back out and still make their goal. I gotta bounce. <laughs> My time crunch is approaching. Players will inevitably understand that they have a little bit of freedom, but if we throw a 24-hour ticking clock in there, they know they're going to have to hustle. Yeah, but of course it is not an immutable law. This is just our opinions. <laughs> I think this can even be helpful in games that you want to be really sandboxy. The players can go wherever they want and do whatever they want. But having that major story objective with a ticking clock underneath it still works because we ran a game together 
they kind of fizzled out. And I think this is why we didn't set any stakes up. We just let them crawl around the sandbox until they were tired of the sandbox. But by that point, we still hadn't set anything up. Well, in another place where I think we may have gone astray with that one is that just because it's a sandbox doesn't mean that there aren't many small ticking clocks within that sandbox. Yeah. Okay. I think we've established what we might be talking about a little <laughs> bit, hopefully. <laughs> yes. We've now recognized that we have our goal and we have our pace and we have our ticking clock. I'm a DM and I'm noticing now I'm running out of time in my session. I need to speed up. How do I speed up gameplay? Well, not only that, that's not the only reason that you might need to speed it up. You could also be noticing that things have been moving slow for a while and everybody else at the table could use an injection of speed to get to the <laughs> next exciting part of the game. A kick in the old patoot. Yeah, I think that's one of the most crucial reasons to start speeding things up. Fair enough. The purpose of speeding it up is to just to move things closer to where the stakes of the story are going to be played out or to the scenes that you've actually put lots of effort into. Like you've got some climax planned. That's where you spent all your prep time. I can't tell you how many times I've planned one hell of a climactic battle scene, and I'm getting frustrated in my mind at how long this tavern scene is dragging out if I don't move things along. Right, because you didn't really know how to. You just kept <laughs> letting people do what they wanted to do. <laughs> And these scenes are described. They're not played out. So you don't want to enter initiative for these faster paced parts of the game because that's inherently slow. I think it helps to derive some inspiration for this. So when we're talking about what a fast paced scene or how to start moving things along, I think what we're looking at is Guy Ritchie's filming style. He does montages really well. And if you've seen trying to think of a more recent one than, say, the film Snatch, maybe King Arthur. Appropriate. He does some very cool scenes in there from heists to even the childhood of the titular character moving along at a lightning fast pace. But there's still interesting moments that develop that character. In fact, the movie works so well because of how much they crammed into those really fast paced parts of his life. So if we want to hit that montage style, one of the things that we can do, and credit where credit's due, this one was emphasized and built into us now by the GM Tim. He used this to great effect in our game. It came back up in one of our previous episodes with him, but it's using an improv story circle. So quickly going around the table and saying, okay, we need to move this along. You can skip checks. You're going to assume the success because... A game where the players are trying to get from, say, point A to point B with any chance of failure in there is going to drive your story off the rails. So you can skip the checks and you can assume success because, in our example, our players are trying to get from town, now that they've been hired, to the bandit camp where the mystic is being held hostage. We probably got some woods in the way. Those woods are probably filled with random encounters. Bandits, You've got owl bears. Yeah. You've got all kinds of stuff. We've also got to figure out which direction the bandit camp lies. So we've got investigation scenes and we've got all kinds of stuff. But how can we quickly get through this? Well, we can just go around in a circle in the table and say, player one, how did you determine which direction the bandits went? I found their tracks. Okay. Player two, you were attacked by wolves. How did you deal with them? 
I hit up in a tree and blended in with the wood because I heard them coming in advance. And when they got close enough, I alerted the rest of the party and we ambushed their ambush. Excellent. And player three, a massive storm rolls in. How did you protect yourself and the rest of your party from the dangerous weather? Well, I've got a radical perfect spell for this. Wonderful. That looked so cool. You projected a spell that calmed the weather around you. Stellar. Moving on. What's really cool about this is the players don't feel like you stole the story from them. They still got to be heroes, and they still got to move through this world. We just now, as players, understand I'm tired, and I spent a couple of spells, and oof, this was tough. It, it, was, it took months getting here, but it took five and a half seconds of real time to yeah. do so. And I just love how much it can still highlight the individual strengths and uniquenesses. <laughs> I know that's a word of the characters. <laughs> so there's another piece here. And that is sometimes we want some roles to come into play. We want to give the players a little bit more to do than simply describe their success. However, we can do this in one really specific way. Going back to the example of trying to determine where the bandits went to. I can ask you to roll me an investigation check. The danger inherent in this is that if you roll a one or a two, now all of a sudden I as a DM need to come up with another way of getting you to the place where I need you to go. That's why some of these checks are so dangerous. But if I reframe the way I'm thinking about checks and assume that on a one, you're still going to learn the direction. So you're still assuming success. I'm still assuming success. No matter what they get. Exactly. And I'm just giving more details. So a one might be they headed north along the trail. Sweet. A 10, they headed north along the trail and there was two guards in tow. Ooh, more details. An 18 might be they headed north. They had them in chains. There was five guards and I can tell that the way that the wagon was sinking down into the mud meant that they had gold on board. And a 25 <laughs> reveals that one of them is very attached to his mustache. <laughs> Maybe you can use that to your advantage later on. <laughs> That's very specific. The other thing that I love about this approach is that it stops players from getting into the habit of one player rolling a one or a two and the DM saying, uh, you don't learn much. And then every subsequent player at the table says, well, I'll try. No, I'll try. I'll try rolling an investigation. And now there's five people, some of which have no business inspecting mud <laughs> tracks down there on all fours yeah. trying to study. That drags the pace down Oh, excuse me, Ranger, uh, that spent your entire life out in the woods and is <laughs> definitely the best one to do this. I know I'm a wizard and I've been stuck in that tower my whole life. <laughs> But just let me get it on my knees and see what I can tell you about nature. <laughs> oh, that drives me nuts. <laughs> the last thing you can do here, if you really just got to get things to that next point, is just describe it with no decision points. Just get them where they're going. <laughs> this does take away a little bit of the player's autonomy, but still, they'll be excited to get to the exciting parts. Hell yeah. So... What are ways that we can use this at the beginning of our story structure to speed things along? Well, I mean, in the beginning, the only information that really 
needs to be gotten across is that the mystic was kidnapped and there's a group of bandits out in the woods. We also want to throw some stakes in there. So we may want to try to pepper in that this whole town hinges on the return of their mystic. Absolutely. So in order to do this in kind of a Guy Ritchie montage, okay, so we've got a couple of players around the table and we're going to kick this story off and say, you as a party came into town to find that the town mystic has been kidnapped by bandits. Wicked evil. The mayor's assistant ushers you into a meeting with the mayor. You're bargaining with the mayor about the safe return of the mystic. Bard, roll for how well you got along. 13. Excellent. You negotiate for 135 gold. That's not bad. Why did you get along so well? Uh, because there was a dog there, and my character loves dogs, and it was the mayor's dog. So we bonded over a little sassy massy. <laughs> Great. Okay. The mayor says that the bandits want $10,000. They can't pay. The mystic's been missing for over a week, and they gave the deadline of tonight by midnight. Oh, dang. We better hustle. Nobody knows which way the bandits went. So, Ranger, roll for an investigation. Five. Excellent. They went north. All right, let's hit the road. So that's how you could do the intro. So that's how you could do the beginning of the game, but you can take the same approach for the middle, and you can even take the same approach for the end if you don't want to do a big climax. Well, one of the places that this really comes up for me is that if I've created some camp, let's say, and it's surrounded by sharpened long poles that are like the typical bandit camp and the players are going to have to go in and get inside and then inside is a cave system where the bad guy is hiding. That's a whole scenario that I may want to just montage because... Taking out all of the bandits one by one isn't supporting the ticking clock, and it's not really supporting the end goal of the story. So that's a perfect montage point so that we can get to the part inside where we do the whole hostage situation. Yeah, especially if you've spent quite a while beforehand and everybody's wanting the action to pick up the pace a little bit. Or I look at my clock and I go, I'm running out of time. It's time to montage this, baby. Yeah. So if we want to flip the script and talk about how do we slow things down in our game, we've sped along, I don't have a ton planned for the end, how do I stretch out and add a little bit more drama? Absolutely. Well, I think there's two types of slow to talk about. There's the real-time slow. That's where you're talking. That's where the dialogue is. You're exploring characters or the world or anything else the butteriness of the scones through <laughs> <laughs> through how you're talking about it this is for exploring characters or the world or anything you want through that real-time dialogue where the players are getting a chance to talk in character to each other and then there's dramatic tension slow and this is for the moments that truly mean something to the stakes of the story that you've set up Again, the players and the DMs both heavily contribute to this drama. So players, if you're listening to your DM start to set this tone and this pace, lean into it. Get, yeah. Get slow with them. Get on board. Like in our hostage situation, when the DM starts to talk about the blade that's being held to the mystic's throat, 
and the bead of sweat that's drawing off of their brow. Well, then I'm going to say, yeah, Zerus reaches for his sword and he tightens his grip around the leather handle. That's when I want to try and get in there and, and get into those gritty details with them. And that's a huge way to enhance these scenes is to describe all of those little things and to really draw out the tension before something pops off. And ideally, I know this might go against what a lot of people think about playing the sweet game of D&D, <laughs> but in my perfect game, these moments are the only ones that I would think it necessary to enter initiative. Because initiative means you're going in super slow-mo and every decision matters. The other thing that I like about that is that you're consciously deciding that this battle has stakes beyond just death. Because if you're entering into combat for these really important moments and all of the tensions are high, you're not necessarily doing that for a typical owl bear fight. It's just coming in and you're hacking away at it. These scenes are the ones we want to draw out. We want to figure out what's going on in every one of the characters' minds. And that means we're about to get into a fight that really, truly has some gravitational pull in the story. Yeah. And not to say that can't happen on the road to the bandit camp. It just requires you to be aware of all of the stuff that we're talking about so that you can make those super slow moments tense, dramatic, and mean something to the stakes. And I don't need to feel pressured to throw in any more combats than is crucially necessary to tell my story. But if I have the extra time and the players want to, sure, let's do an owlbear fight. Yeah. I've got an, I'm 40 minutes ahead of schedule. <laughs> So the kind of inspiration that we're trying to draw from, if you want to get yourself into this headspace whenever you're going into these moments, think about scenes like the coin toss from No Country for Old Men. These personal interactions, especially one-on-one, -on -one, that can really draw some dramatic tension into your story. And as the players who are doing the, the role-playing and the dialogue in those situations, the way to lean into that is like, leave a gap, leave a breath, let it just sit and linger. <laughs> this is where all of those interesting character affectations can start to come out. I've noticed this in the past as well, where players are like, where do I really talk about my players wanting to suck on a pipe? My character smokes a pipe. Where do I add that into my gameplay? Well, these are those moments where you slowly light your pipe and then you suck on that pipe angrily with a hateful stare. And if we wanted to slow down a scene that we talked about, like we could go back to the negotiation between the bard and the mayor and we could slow that right down if we wanted to. And that bard could do what you just said, could pull out their pipe and be messing with a coin in their hand, you know, doing that roll over the fingers thing. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't already kind of pieced this together, one of those tricks to slowing down your gameplay is to draw out those descriptions and elongate them. And this is where we can really get into the description of the room that the characters are in. It's not for every room that they enter, the ones that mean something to the story where the dramatic slow scene is going to happen. If we are leading up to a big battle and we know that there's an ambush inside this room, let's draw it out a little bit more. 
let's add some tension to this scene. We can also focus in on one player for those decisions. So for example, the scene that you just described where the mayor and the bard are having this very tense discussion, that's where we can zoom in on that bard and the rest of the players don't really enter into this scene. This is a match and battle of wits between two players. And we're just going to let them have this for a moment. Yeah. And I think one of the most important to remember about these scenes, especially the type of scene where you're, you're exploring characters in the world, is to be ready to pull the ripcord as soon as the players are ready to move on. I've seen a piece of advice that it took me a long time to unlearn circulate, which is to kind of finish those scenes that you've established. Mm -hmm. But do not feel obligated to do that. Like if you're running a slow scene and it's working for a while and then people are ready to move on, just use those fast techniques to finish the scene and get out. Describe what happens and move on. You can snap your fingers and the negotiations are over. You were awarded this much money. On we go. Even mid-combat. And I think we've talked about this before too, but if you're in the middle of a combat that's turning into a slog because maybe you didn't establish those stakes or something went wrong, just wrap it up. It's okay to not play out every last action in combat. This goes against what's going on in your head as a DM, and I think that's why I've struggled with this in the past as well, yeah. which is my players are in the middle of this. If I take it away, I'm going to rob them. But if you have something better that you have planned, it's better to get them to that point than to spend the next half an hour mopping up the rest of the goblins. Yeah. That could take all night. Yeah. So going back to the beginning of our story, what if we have a long session and we want to take some time and we want to build the stakes? How do we do that within the confines of, say, our beginning or our adventure setup again? Well, this... Well, this specifically can be really fun because you can make it a little bit more sandboxy, but just knowing that every scene the players initiate or you initiate has to come back to the stakes. Why is the mystic important? So as they explore the town, like you could have scenes before the kidnapping even happens if you go in a different direction where the party can just explore the local establishments and get to know NPCs. But as they do that, those NPCs are telling them why the mystic is so important to this town. Exactly. They can go on a little shopping spree and prepare for this event. The mystic has been kidnapped. We need to prepare. And I know you and I both know how long shopping scenes can go in game. <laughs> Once players get on a roll, if this shop has some really cool stuff, I mean... We could be here for an hour. Or if you introduce a particularly charming shopkeep <laughs> that the players don't want to stop hanging out with. So all we have to do to make sure that the scene continues to have weight, we can draw it out. We can introduce the fact that this shopkeeper sells one of the best reagents on behalf of the mystic in town. And without those reagents used in all kinds of different spells, and here's what I use to do them, my business goes under if that mystic is not returned. And look, I have all these dogs that I'll have to throw out in the woods in a big bag. That's evil. That's truly heinous. <laughs> you got to save those dogs. You got to save the dogs. And we know the bard cares about dogs already. <laughs> well, there's so much more that we can do with this. We can spend some time with the, that mystic's kids. We can allow the players, like you said, to just explore town really get a feel for it, really get in there, 
have some drinks, stay in the tavern, but everyone is talking about the mystic. They went missing. Did you hear about that? Huge reward. Oh my goodness. They're going to execute him at midnight. What are we going to do? This town's never going to be the same without him. The reason that we are encouraging you to make it all relate to those stakes, because if you don't, you'll do again what we've done in the past, which is, oh, the shopkeep has uh, rats in the basement. <laughs> okay, I guess, should we go should kill we the rats? That? Yeah. Will he give us a reward for killing the rats? Oh. I guess that's a side quest. I hate that. When you've realized that you've done something horrible that you cannot take back now. <laughs> All right. Si mini adventure within the adventure that doesn't really matter. Hamstring my own story. Yeah. We hope that that was helpful. If you have any questions about this whole process, this is exactly the kind of stuff that we talk about on our Discord. We do hangouts where we can get into the meat of this and really try to help flesh out. What are the stakes? How do I tie this in? What are some of the steps in moving this story through its paces? And where does it matter and where does it not? Because this is an ongoing conversation too. We know this isn't the final word on this subject. And this is just our approach to it. My goodness, yes. There is so much more to delve into around pacing, especially combat pacing. That's a whole nother beast. Yeah. So to recap the steps, We've got build a structure and the stakes. Add a ticking clock for your players. Use systems to speed up and systems to slow down. As required. And then finally, watch and read your table so you know when to employ these best. Very good. Now we've got an interesting tool that you've been using for a long time that's finally got a Kickstarter in the Temple of Inspired Hands. Let's go. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. All right, so there's a tool that you've been using for years. Literal years. Not in-game years. And they're finally doing something with a Kickstarter, right? Yeah. This one I'm actually really excited for. I have been dragging my heels on D&D Beyond because I love my app so much. There's a great character app. It's available for Android on the Google Play Store, and it's called Squire. And I've been using this thing and following along with its development for years. It was great when I started. It's amazing now. It's so flexible. I really love it. There is a new version of this coming out. Oh it's my. a brand new Kickstarter for the Squire app. In a nutshell, a much improved version of the original Android phone app. However, they've taken the jump into a web app. All right. So I know you're real jacked up about it. But like, what can you do with it? Well, you can make as many characters as you want. Okay, 800. Yeah, you can have very, very many characters. I've got dozens on my phone that I have at all times. You can download all kinds of cool homebrew content, like classes and items and weapons. There's lots of people out there that have been creating uh, content for the Squire app that you can then download and load up into your personal app. And there's some really cool goals that they are working towards with this Kickstarter and with some of their future developments. And one of them is like synced play and being able to roll attacks on other players at the table all through 
the Squire app. Yeah, I got pretty excited about that part of it. Also, I don't know why this gets me going so much, but when I was reading about the fact that you can send private messages between your phones with this app, the DM can even send out a message in a particular language in D&D so that if your character doesn't speak that language and they, you can't read it, I How love it. How wild is that? So these are all, of course, future developments that they're working on. However, currently, there is both a phone app and a web app that you can use on your computer. You can share them with friends. You can send your characters to whoever you need with just a quick link to your grandparents. They, to... <laughs> they might not get it. They, yeah, they won't understand <laughs> what you sent them. But maybe it'll be the spark they need to play. And right now, it's 10 bucks for a two-year subscription on the eventual service that this Kickstarter rolls out. And I'm really stoked. I've been a user of this app for a long, long time, and I was so excited to just kick a couple of bucks towards an independent creator that has been tirelessly working on this really <laughs> cool app for years. Shout out to Passion Projects. But at the end of the day, I still like paper. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> but when I'm using paper... I can lose my character completely <laughs> with no hope of ever finding them again. We, uh, <laughs> You're alluding to these stacks of random mismatched pages because you always throw your name on the first page of your character sheet stack and then the last two pages, you know, with your spells <laughs> and your inventory, yeah. go fuck off nowhere. <laughs> Who needs those, right? I can also get super confused on all my random notes that I make in the columns and the sides about armor and weapon changes? Yeah. Why play D&D cleanly when you can leaf through 500 pages like an old-timey bookkeeper? <laughs> and not remember what loot I have, and therefore not even know if I'm making the right attacks with the right modifiers. Let me just go to the filing cabinet that I have in the corner of the room. Slide it out. <laughs> but most importantly, with paper, I can run out of character sheets... I can spend two hours trying to fix our printer. I can give that up, <laughs> go print it at a Staples, but have to spend an hour getting confused down there and eventually get harshly judged for my incompetence by the staff and maintain eye contact with them as I wait for them to print out my next 50 character sheets that I'm going to burn through at an alarming rate. <laughs> this feels all too close to home. Are you okay? Do we need to talk about this? Yeah, but I refuse to learn new things. <laughs> yeah, you could certainly give the Squire app a try. Are you ready? Are you done with this now? <laughs> no, I fear change. Fine, I'll try it. <laughs> Well, if you're interested in trying it, go check them out. It's a really cool Kickstarter. Um, you know, like I said, it's an independent creator that is trying to add something to the D&D space, which we are always excited for. So way to go, Squire. Really excited for this new chapter in your development because I'll be there. And I might be. <laughs> Begrudgingly. We'll have links for you to check it out in the show notes. <laughs> Sound more salty, why don't you? <laughs> well, we hope that that whole episode was helpful. If you have had successes with pacing, you're one of the few, but we would love to hear about them. Absolutely. If you've got other tips for us about pacing, please let us know. You can do that on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. You can also thank Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can even join 
the awesome community of players and DMs on our Discord. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and don't brood in the games. dark. Oh, but you do it so well. Yeah, I'm gonna go do it right now.